Hello, everyone. Blessed to be back. I'm excited to be back. So I had a great time in the States. I was very reluctant to go. If you talked to me before I left, I didn't want to go just because logistics and everything. And you know what? I'm so happy I went back. You know, God just really showed me the importance of rest and really just revealed things in my own heart. And so I'm just I'm just grateful for that. But really excited to be back and just excited to share from God's word this afternoon. So turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7, and if you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles in the back, so if you need one, you can go ahead and grab one or just put your hand up and someone will bring it to you. Well, if you've been joining us for any amount of time, we've been going through the Gospels, and we found ourselves in the Sermon on the Mount for many weeks now, and last week Aaron had started chapter 7 of Matthew, and we looked at verses 1 through 12. And we studied Jesus' teaching on judging others and how quick we are so many times to judge others without first taking a look at our own self and our own life, right? Without first taking the speck or the plank out of our own eye. We then continue to teach about steadfastness, especially as it pertains to prayer. So today we're going to pick up in verse 13 and we're going to finish up the chapter, conclude Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. So I'm excited to get into it. Now, as I was reading these verses, I just felt God just put this on my heart. How and in what way are you going to serve me? How are you going to serve me? And as I've been wrestling with this question, as I've been reading these verses, the Lord just fleshed out even more questions. When the world sees our life, what do they see? When they look at our lives, what do they see? Do they see Christ or do they see something else? What kind of fruit is my life producing? And what excuses do I think I'll have when I stand before Jesus to give account of my life and to give account of the way that I ministered? So I extend these questions to you as God convicted my heart with them and just keep them in mind as we go through these verses. So before we read, let's just go ahead again, commit this time to the Lord, let's pray, and then we'll get into it. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for the privilege it is to just get into your word, Lord. We know that your word is powerful, your word is alive, and that your word gives life. So, Lord, what a privilege it is to just to be in it, God. We just pray you'd open our hearts, Father, as we read your word, that you would teach us your ways. I pray, Lord, that your words would be spoken today, not the words of man, God, but that your words are spoken and your name is glorified. So, Father, we love you and we just commit this time to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Matthew chapter 7, let's go ahead and read verses 13 through 14. Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. Jesus told his disciples, enter in by the narrow gate, and do not go on to the path that is broad, that's wide, right? The path that is easy to get on, the path that there are many who enter into it. Ultimately, the disciples had a decision to make. What path were they going to take? And what path are they going to take as they serve God? And for each one of us, the decision is ours to make as well. How and what way are we going to live and serve Jesus Christ? How and what way are we going to serve and follow Jesus Christ? First and foremost, Jesus says, don't, don't stray onto the broad path that leads to destruction. A broad path is, is it's a wide path. It's easy to travel on, right? It's not difficult to travel on. It could even be called safe. It's a safe way, and many take it. 
On the contrast, the narrow path is not an easy road to take. And I'm sure as many of you have driven in Asia, you are very familiar with narrow roads. Whether you drive up mountains or you go to villages or you're just on some random back street, they're not safe. I think we all can agree on that. They're twisty, they're windy, you can't see around the bend, and it's not big enough for your car, let alone two. It's not safe. And in the same sense, so is the wide, uh, the narrow path that Christ tells us to take. It's not a safe one. Because Christ never called us to live a safe life. He called us to live an obedient life. A life to follow Jesus, whatever the cost may be, because the costs are high. And there's a reason why not many go on to the narrow path, right? Because it's not an easy path to take. It's not a safe road to take. And unfortunately, there's many people who profess and proclaim Christ who also do not take the narrow path. Jesus said in verse 14, the narrow gate, or the the way that leads to life, he calls it difficult. This word difficult in the Greek language, it's an amazing word. It's called philebo, and it means to suffer persecution. It means to be troubled, and it means to be afflicted. So reading it in that context, Jesus says narrow is the gate, And the way which leads to life is full of persecution, full of trouble, and full of affliction. And I found that incredible when I read that because Jesus is telling us to take a path that involves persecution, that involves trouble and affliction. And the reason is, is because we live in a fallen world, right? And Satan does not want us to do the work that God has called us to do. He does not want change to come to this country. He doesn't want lives to be changed. He doesn't want more souls to enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus reveals Satan's schemes in John 10.10. His goal is to steal, kill, and destroy. That's it. That's his purpose. And this is why he tries to lead so many off this path. And for those who are on this path, he fills it with persecution. Because any time we seek to do the work of God, we're going to be met with opposition. Every single time. We're going to be faced with attacks. Right? We're going to be faced with many different trials. And for this reason, many believers, they stray off of this path and they enter into this broad path, compromising the truth of who Jesus is. When the going gets tough, they turn away. Taking the path that is broad is a life that is complacent and a life that compromises what the Word of God said and compromises who Jesus Christ is. And yet many people are straying onto this path, especially as they share the Gospel, watering down the Word of God. Not calling what's sinful, sinful. The easy way out. Jesus tells us to take the road less traveled, right? To live holy lives and to be like Jesus Christ, whatever the cost and the consequence may be. And living and entering on this path should mean that we are living to glorify Jesus no matter what I lose, right? Whether I lose my freedom, whether I lose my privileges, my finances, my relationships, my health, or maybe even my life. We need to be willing to give it all for Jesus Christ. Paul, the Apostle Paul, he exemplified what this life looked like. And he talked about it in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 24 through 28. And I'll go ahead and read those verses. He said, From the Jews, five times I received forty stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have been in the deep, in journeys often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, 
and fastings often, and cold and nakedness, and besides the other things, what comes upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. Now, praise the Lord, we're not all called to suffer like Paul did. The question is not, how are we going to suffer? The question is not, if I'm going to lose my life. The question is, am I willing to give it up? That's the question, because Jesus deserves nothing less than our everything. And make no mistake, as we seek to do the will of God, as we share and preach the word of God and truth, and we go out into this world and share Jesus, of course, we're going to be met again with this opposition. So many times we get discouraged when we're sleepless, right? When we're getting constantly attacked by the enemy. But it should encourage us that we're doing the work of God. And expect opposition, because brothers and sisters, you don't need me to remind you of this. We're in enemy territory, and Satan doesn't want us here. He doesn't want us making a stake for the kingdom of God. Well, let's continue. We'll read verses 15 through 20, and then we'll come back and break them down. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. In verse 15, Jesus says, Beware of false prophets. As we're seeking to, to live on this narrow path that Christ has called us to, Satan is going to do anything he can to make us stray off this path. He doesn't want us to remain on it. He doesn't want us to continue to serve and follow Jesus Christ. So Satan will use any means that he can to make us stray off this path. But Satan knows that he can't destroy the calling that he has for our life. He knows he can't take it from us. On Wednesday night as we're going through Reclaiming Surrendered Ground, there's something that the author said about spiritual warfare, and he used the example of suicide. And he said, Satan knows he can't destroy your life, so what does he do? He wants you to do it for him. And it doesn't just apply to suicide, it applies to many things, including our calling. Satan knows he can't take it from us. What does he want us to do? Walk away from it ourselves. Stray off that path. Take the easy road. Right? Water down the gospel. Don't share and don't preach the truth. We don't want to offend anyone, right? So don't preach the truth. That's what Satan wants. And one of the means that he tries to lead us off the path is through false prophets and false teaching. Now, the word prophet that Jesus uses here doesn't refer to one who foretells future events, but rather someone who claims to speak the words of God. So therefore, a false prophet in the context is one who claims to speak God's words, yet does not speak the word of God, right? They speak a lie. And Jesus calls such people Wolves in sheep's clothing. People who feign loyalty to the church and to the word of God, yet inside they have ulterior motives, desires to divide the church, maybe even steal the church. But God does not take this lightly, and God has a strict judgment for false teaching and false teachers. And as God is zealous for the truth of his word to be taught, so should we as the church. And as we go out to share the truth of scripture, we should be zealous for the word of God and zealous for the truth of God's word. We should be sharing the truth of God's word as we go out into this world. How important is the word of God? How important is it in our hearts? What priority does the word of God take? Because many times it's easy to go out and minister, yet we leave out the most important thing, the word of God. 
right? We go out and we do humanitarian things. Again, these are wonderful things that we should be doing, but the Word of God needs to take precedence. It needs to take priority. Why? Because there's power in the Word of God. And through the Word of God, one can come to everlasting life. Satan doesn't want the Word to be taught, and Satan wants false teaching to be taught. And the way that we guard ourselves, as Jesus told us, he said, beware of them, guard yourselves against them. The way we guard ourselves against false teaching is being in the Word of God and rooting and grounding ourselves in it each and every day. Not merely two days a week, not waiting to be taught it on certain days of the week, but being in it every single day personally. This is how we guard our hearts against it. I think of what the psalmist said in Psalm 119. He said, your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. To be on alert and searching the word of God like the Bereans in Acts 17 who searched the scriptures as Paul taught them to make sure what was being taught was accurate. And we should be doing the same thing. But I feel on this topic, and then we'll move on, we've made false teaching very exclusive. Right? We take those terms and we make it exclusive and we categorize Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons and progressives as false teaching, right? But false teaching comes in many other ways and shapes and sizes, right? My pastor from Pennsylvania, he said this about false teaching. False teaching is like rat poison. Most rat poison, 98% of it is actually harmless for the rat, while 2% actually kills it. And false teaching is the same way. And there is so much false teaching in the world right now. So many, unfortunately, many Christians believing false teaching. This idea that Christians are called to go out and conform and, and conform and imitate culture and be influenced by culture in order to reach a certain people. The Word of God never calls us to do this because Jesus never called us to be like the people who don't know Him. He called us to go out and be like Him. Not to be defined by culture, but to be defined by the Word of God. Not to be confused and mistaken for people who don't know Jesus. Alistair Begg, he's a famous pastor in the States, he said this, When Jesus mixed with sinners, he was never mistaken for one of them. And I think we would do well as a church to do the same. And to stop being caught up and influenced by culture and instead seek to be influenced by the Word of God. We have to be cautious. Jesus said, beware. A lot of false teaching, it comes, it looks like a a sheep, right? But inwardly, they're ravenous wolves. Be careful. And we live in a time where false teaching is more rampant now than ever. We need to guard ourselves. Well, verses 16 through 20, Jesus said, you'll know them by their fruits. Jesus is laying out a tactic to keep ourselves guarded from false teachers. He lays out the blueprint Right? And he said, pay attention to their lives and see the fruit of their lives, whether they're good or bad. To see if one acts in their own self-interest to point people to themselves instead of Jesus Christ. Jesus said in John chapter 15, verse 5, that if we abide in him, we will bear much fruit, for without him we can do nothing. You can tell if someone is living and serving out for the Lord Jesus Christ or not by the fruit that they're producing, or else the fruit that they're not producing, right? And Jesus likens these people to a tree because you can't hide a tree. A tree is out there, it's open, it's not hidden. You don't have to be intelligent to look at a tree and see whether that tree is healthy or not. You don't need to be a smart person or an expert in trees to see if a tree is bearing good fruit or bad fruit. And when you talk to a person, you can tell what's in their heart. Because Jesus said in Matthew 12, 34, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What is in will come out. What is in will come out. 
And we see this as it pertains to false teachers, but we would be wrong if we didn't draw this application. What about us? What kind of fruit are we producing? What kind of fruit are we bearing for the kingdom of God? When people look at our lives, do they see Jesus Christ? Or do they see a reflection of the world? Do they see self-interest? Do they see ulterior motives? If someone had a 24-hour look at our life, would they walk away knowing that we live holy lives or debauched lives? What about when we minister? When we share the gospel or do the work of God, are we pointing people to ourselves? Or are we pointing people to Jesus? And it's very easy to get caught up in that trap of pride. Look how many people I shared the gospel with. Look, I saved these people. No, you didn't. God saved them. He used you, but he didn't need to. And he doesn't need me, right? He wants us. Praise the Lord. When we share the gospel, do we do it out of necessity or do we do it as a chore? When people talk with us, what are the words that are coming out of our mouth? What kind of fruit are we producing? Are we looking like Jesus or are we looking like the world? I think it's a great tragedy in the world we live in today because a lot of the church is mixed in with the world and a lot of people can't tell the difference. What about as we walk the streets in this country, do people know why we're here? Do people know why we're here? Do they know that we're here to share Jesus Christ with them? Do they know that we're here for Jesus because of Jesus? Again, I ask the question, how are we going to serve the Lord? And I understand we're not perfect, but I think we get a little too comfortable with that excuse. Well, I'm not perfect. And we use that excuse so much so that we don't change. How are we going to serve Jesus? And how do we bear fruit? The answer is given to us in Scripture, abiding in Jesus. Abiding in Jesus. Let's read verses 21 through 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. These are pretty profound verses. And Jesus addresses those who claim to follow and serve him superficially, but not genuinely. He says, not all who call him Lord, Lord will enter heaven, but rather those who do the Father's will. Now, when I read these three verses, I found two things absolutely incredible. Number one, in verse 22, Jesus said, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? I found this amazing because we can see that you can do the work of God, but have no real relationship with him. You can do the work of God. You can go out and serve God, but have no real relationship with Him. And unfortunately, there's, this is happening a lot today, isn't it? A lot of people serving God, but no real relationship with Him. And this is a great tragedy, and this is, this is what Jesus is saying. Now, for us who do know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, I have to ask this question, as God convicted my heart with this, how many times do I live and minister as if I had no relationship with Jesus Christ. How many times do I go out and minister as if I really didn't have a relationship with Jesus Christ? How many times do I treat ministry like a chore and a job that I can't wait to get away from? When I was working full-time in the States, I was doing construction, and I actually really enjoyed the work. But I worked in Virginia, and if any of you know anything about Virginia, it's the devil's weather. It's cold. It can snow in May. I've never seen anything like it. And I hate the cold. 
So I hated, I hated working in the cold. I didn't like the atmosphere I was in. It was a hard atmosphere to be in. And every day I went to work, I just could not wait to leave. I couldn't wait to be done. And God just convicted my heart. Christian, how many times do you do that in ministry? I can't wait to be done with this. Right? Losing a love for the people that God loves, that he wants to see saved, that he wants to invite me in and use me to share the gospel with. Or how many times do we live with a double standard in ministry where we minister and build up and encourage those in the church, but we go out into the world and we encounter maybe the worker at the store who, who did something to irritate us and we act very unchristlike towards them, right? We have a very short temper towards them. We're impatient with them. Ministry is not a job. It's not part-time. This is every single second of every single day. So for those of us, again, who know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, how many times do we live our lives and minister as if we didn't know Jesus? What a privilege and honor it is to serve Jesus. And we should be living as such. The second thing I found incredible reading these verses is that each one of us will face Jesus and give account to the way that we lived our lives and give account to the way that we ministered. And for those of you who are maybe joining us, maybe online, that you don't know Jesus, you will stand before him one day and give account for your life. See, truth is truth. Truth is not dependent. Truth is independent. You don't need to believe it for it to be true. You will face Jesus. And you will give account to the way that you lived your life. And for those of us who do know Jesus, it doesn't change. We will face Jesus and give account for the way we lived our lives. And we will give account for the way that we minister. So as I was reading this and just meditating on this, God put on my heart, if I were to face Jesus Christ right now, how would I feel? How would I feel? Would I feel ashamed? Would I feel excited? If I were to face Jesus Christ right now, would I be ready? If Christ came back right now, or God forbid we lost our lives, would we be ready to face Jesus Christ? Because we will give account for the way that we live and the way that we minister. We need to live for Jesus as if we were going to face him right now. We need to serve Jesus with an urgency, going out and sharing the gospel, not when it's convenient for us, not serving Jesus again, back to being on that narrow path, right? Not, not leaving that path when it gets difficult, when it becomes inconvenient for us. We need to live for Jesus as if we were going to face him right now. Let's look at verses 24 through 25. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken to him a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. So again, as I've asked the question, how or what way are you going to live and serve Jesus Christ? I ask it again. Are you going to live and serve Jesus Christ rooted in him or not? Are you going to build your life, build the ministry God has called you to, and build your calling upon Jesus, trusting in him and being rooted in him or not? I want you to notice that Jesus says that those who build on the rock are those who not just hear the words of God, but does them. Look again in verse 24. Whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken to him a wise man who built his house on the rock. It's very easy to read the Word of God, to be taught the Word of God, to listen to the Word of God, yet don't put it into practice. It's very easy to take Jesus and make him a profession but not a lifestyle. 
And James said in James chapter 1, verse 22, he says, but be a doer of the word and not a hearer only, deceiving yourself. Jesus said, if we are built on the rock, we're not just going to hear the word of God, but we're going to do it. We're going to obey it. We're going to be faithful. We're going to be obedient. Does your profession match your lifestyle? And again, I ask these questions not out of judgment. I ask these questions because God convicted my heart with them. (laughs) Does your life fit your profession? Now, I want you to also notice Jesus doesn't say that if we build our lives on him, we'll be unstoppable and safe and protected. No, that's not what he says. Look what he says in verse 25. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house. Again, Jesus never said that we're going to have a safe and perfect life. He never said we're never going to get sick and we're never going to have trials. No, he actually promised the opposite. He said, no, you're going to have trials. You're going to have tribulations. But he also promised us that he is with us, right? And he also promised us that if we're rooted and built in him, we won't fall. And I just love the wording that Jesus uses here. He says, when the rains fall, the floods come and the winds blow. Boy, it's like that, isn't it? As we seek to serve the Lord. Some of us, so many times, we just feel beat up. Sometimes beat to a pulp as we serve God. Can't sleep, getting attacked, getting discouraged, being persecuted. This is what we're going to encounter. Remember, Jesus said the way is difficult. This is what you're going to face. It's not a matter of if the rains come. It's when the rains come. When the floods come. When the winds blow, again, we're going to have hardships. That's not in question. The question is, how do we respond to these hardships? Are our lives founded upon the truth of God's word? And are our lives founded in who Jesus Christ is and who we are in him? What else does Jesus say? Because he doesn't just say that the rains are going to fall, the floods are going to come, and the winds are going to blow. He says they're going to come and they're going to beat on that house. And I love how Jesus says that, how he words that. They're not just going to come. They're going to beat on that house. They're going to beat on you. And I don't say this to discourage you, but we are going to get attack after attack after attack as we seek to do the work of God. Opposition after opposition after opposition. Satan wants nothing more than for the work of God to not be done. And this is why it's so important we understand that we are in a battle each and every day. But I love this, and I think we can be encouraged in this, that the trials of this life and the attacks that we face are so small in the light of what God can do, in the light of who our God is. And as we celebrate this time of year that Jesus conquered death, we can be reminded that nothing is too hard or difficult for the Lord. And I love that. I love how God, He understands us when we feel beat up and when we feel tired and when we feel like we can't go on anymore. I think of Elijah in the Old Testament. Right, Elijah had a great victory on Mount Carmel where all the false prophets came to him and he defeated them all. Right, It was a great victory. Then the very next chapter, Elijah's running for his life. Running for his life. And the Lord comes to Elijah and he's like, Elijah, what are you doing here? And Elijah's like, Lord, I can't do it anymore. They're out to kill me. I'm the only one who loves you. Right, He goes goes on his spiel. And how how does the Lord respond? Okay, here's something to eat rest. I love that about our God. He's so gentle. He understands when we feel beat up. He understands when we feel tired. And this is why he says over and over again that he's with us and he's here to help us through these trials. But are we rooted in him or not? Let's look at verses 26 through 27. 
But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell. And great was its fall. Here in these two verses, we see the alternative of not being rooted in Jesus Christ. Not being founded in who He is and His Word. He said, when these trials and these persecutions and these challenges come, you are going to fall. And not only this, but look what Jesus says. Not only did the house fall, but great was its fall. Great was its fall. Whenever we claim to serve and love Jesus Christ and then crumble, right, when times of hardships come and we turn our back on God, it leaves a bad testimony. It leaves a bad testimony to this world. But on the flip side of that, whenever we're standing firm and standing strong despite hardships and persecutions and trials, it attracts people to Jesus. It attracts people to Him. And we live in a pretty extraordinary time because you don't need me to remind you of this. The world's not getting any better. It's not getting normal, right, as we would call it. It's getting worse. New wars are starting, right? New sicknesses are coming. People are horrified. They're fearful. When they see us standing firm in Jesus Christ and they see the hope that is within us, it attracts them. They're hungry and they're thirsty. And there's a world out there where people are starving for the gospel. In this country and in this city, people starving for the gospel. And me and Aaron were talking about it earlier. People are coming to us and they're saying, please teach us the Bible. Please teach us about Jesus. We want to know more about Him. We want to know about this hope. The world is starving. Are we going to go out there and share the truth of Jesus Christ? But it starts with our hearts. Are we rooted and grounded in Him? Because we can't give what we don't have. We can't point people to Jesus if we're not there ourselves. And we're here in this city and in this country for no other reason than to bring glory to Jesus Christ and to share His gospel. To point people to Him. That's why He's called us here. Are we pointing others to Jesus? Are we not? When people see us mild-mannered and patient and loving, there's something different about it. Let's look at verses 28 through 29. And so it was when Jesus had ended these sayings that the people were astonished at His teaching. For he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Jesus concludes his Sermon on the Mount, and I, I just want to draw your attention to why the people were astonished. Right? They were astonished for one reason. They were astonished at the fact that Jesus taught with authority because Jesus has all authority. He has all power. All things are in subjection to him. But what about your life? Is Jesus the Lord of your life? Does he have all authority in your life? Do you live as though Jesus had all authority in your life? Many people today want to call Jesus Savior, but not many want to call him Lord. It all goes back, right, to the first thing we read in these verses, that broad path. A lot of people like this idea, Jesus saved me from my sins, great, he loves me, but they don't want to live for him, right? They don't want to be persecuted. They don't want to be pushed away. They don't want to face the opposition, And I don't really think any of us do, right? But here's the difference. Our God is with us through them all. And this life is so, it's only temporary. This earth's not our home. Is Jesus Lord of our lives? I heard it said once, Jesus is Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. How are we serving him? How are we going to live for him? What are we holding back from him? When people look at our lives, do they see Jesus Christ? What fruit are our lives producing? 
So to wrap up, we looked at Jesus' teaching as it pertained to what path we're going to take. And again, as he laid out a decision for the disciples to make, so the decision is ours to make as we live and serve Jesus each day. Are we going to take the narrow path or are we going to take the easy path? The path that compromises. The path that waters down the Word of God. The path that tells us we don't need to go out and share Jesus. The church is way too comfortable right now. It's time we get uncomfortable for Jesus and we go out and share Jesus. It's time we count the cost and we go out and follow Him no matter what the cost may be. Are our lives, is this what we hold back from Jesus? Is He worth it or not? Is He he worth living for? Is He worth dying for? What are we holding back from Jesus Christ? Are we serving with no joy? Are we complacent? Are we out of His Word? Do we serve God as if we had no real relationship with Him at all? Jesus deserves everything. And He's worth living for and He's worth dying for. And for us, it's time we count the cost. And I think one of the biggest tragedies in the church today is many people count the cost and they deem Jesus not worthy of it. And we saw an example with this in Scripture, right? With the rich young ruler. And he said to Jesus, Teacher, what what do I need to do to have eternal life? And Jesus said, Keep the commandments. And he said, well, I've kept these. And Jesus said, well, one thing you lack, go sell what you have and then come follow me. And he didn't do it. He was grieved. For him, it was materialistic things that he didn't want to give up. And for each of us, it might be different. Maybe it's our health. Maybe it's our freedoms. Maybe it's our relationships again. Maybe it's our lives. Is Jesus worth it to us? And are we going to go out and share Christ? So let's pray, and then we'll continue our worship. Heavenly Father, we just thank you, Lord, so much for your love and your mercy and your grace. And God, as we read these things, and Lord, you set the standard so high for us, God, through Jesus, our example. And as he lived a life, Lord, that was lived out on the narrow path, a life that held nothing back from being obedient to your will, Father. And as we celebrate at this time of year, Jesus held nothing back, not even his life, but gave it all to be obedient to your will. And Lord, even though the standard is set high, Lord, by your grace, we can achieve it, Lord by the Holy Spirit living in us. So I pray, Father, you'd strengthen us. I pray, Lord, that you would just empower us, God, to do your will. Teach us to do your will, God. Teach us to be obedient to you. Help us, God. Give us faith. Give us strength to be the men and women you called us to be, to be the church that you've called us to be, God. Because what a privilege it is to serve you, Lord. What a privilege it is to be called your children and to share the great hope of your Son, Jesus Christ, with this world around us. And Lord, as the path that you call us to is difficult, and as it's full of persecutions and trials, as the enemy doesn't want us to take this path, God, give us the faith to overcome, Lord, to overcome temptation, to resist the enemy. I pray, Lord, that you just, again, encourage our hearts, Father, and help us to be the church that you called us to be, to hold nothing back from you, Lord. We love you, Lord. I just thank you so much. What a privilege it is to be here, Lord, to be with this church body, and I just thank you, God, for this opportunity we had to be in your word. Please bless our time as we continue to worship you through song. In Jesus' name.